You sisters know that my skin has been glowing lately, and I'm here to tell you my secret. Oak Essentials. You've heard us talk about their line of luxurious products before, and we're so excited to have them as a sponsor of OK Sister Podcast because now you can join in on the glowy goodness. You know Oak Essentials is legit because it was created by none other than our favorite brand ever, Jenny Kane. Oak Essentials is known for its simple approach to self-care with a lineup of foundational skincare staples made with high-quality ingredients that drive results. It aims to unlock healthy, glowing skin with decadent and hydrating ingredients that give you a luxe, dewy glow. I won't shut up about the Moisture Rich Balm. It's a nutrient-rich balm that supports collagen production and delivers serious hydration for a luminous glow. And a luminous glow indeed. The way my skin feels like butter after applying this balm. This balm will make you never want to wear makeup again. And you can apply generously during your night routine to lock in moisture as you dream. It's the definition of beauty sleep. Treat yourself or someone else this season. You sisters will get 15% off and a free organic honey-based restorative mask with their first order. Oh my God, what a deal. When you use code OKSIS15 at checkout. That's right. 15% off plus a gift with your first order at O-A-K-E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A-L-S.com. Promo code OKSIS15, OKAYSIS15. Go ahead and treat yourself. From luxurious skincare to meaningful self care, you deserve it. Welcome to OK Sis Podcast. Hi, sisters. I'm Maddie. And I'm Scout. And we are sisters IRL. I'm the older one. Yes, Scout. We know. We're cultural observers. And of curious minds. Get ready for sisterly banter while we chat about fixations, learnings, and personal growth. We promise it'll be a good time. As long as you don't get too loud, Mads. Welcome to the sisterhood. Hello. Welcome back. My name is Maddie. I am Scout, and we are the sisters IRL of OKSIS Podcast. Welcome. Welcome to the pod. How, how, do we, how do we sound in your ears? Okay. Well, don't answer that. But also, if you are new, I feel like we haven't said hi to the new people in a while. And if you are a new sister, welcome to the sisterhood. Um, the coolest way to get in touch with us and involved in the community is our secret Facebook group, OK Sisters. So check it out. But anyways... Mads, how was your week? Give me the update. I want to connect with you and hear about your life. Oh, wow. That is a heavy question. How is my week? <laughs> um, you know, I did something this morning that would bring you a lot of joy. Um, I dove into the world of Lacey Phillips this morning, and I did her free clarity exercise um, it's like a little intro into her, obviously, larger manifestation workshop, yada, yada. Um, and it was delightful. I mean, she is also like, she's a YouTuber. Like, she is a YouTuber. Like, she is so great. And just the aesthetics and the vibe is amazing. I really did not think I would connect with someone so spiritual. But I think what I love about her is that a lot of her practice her practice things are rooted in science and neuroplasticity and essentially shifting your neural pathways to, you know, think about traumas differently or 
examine past experiences and then kind of learn how to deal with your triggers. And um, it was delightful. I I, I got to tell you. Okay, so I don't know how many times I have tried to get you on the Lacey Phillips train. <laughs> she is incredible. You're speaking like, you know, you're like already in adopted, which I love. I'm so happy. You even texted me and asked me if uh, I wanted to do one of the exercises with you, which the answer is yes, 100%. Let's do it. I think that her work is so revolutionary and such an approachable way for individuals to heal from past traumas, limiting beliefs, etc., in a way that is super spiritual but is backed by science, which is what I love because I don't believe that science and spirituality are two ends of the stick. I believe that they overlap quite a lot, Mm -hmm. quite a lot more than I think people understand. And so she's so brilliant at bringing those two worlds together. Yeah. You know, she talks a lot about how, which is what I thought manifestation was, was this whole like, writing down affirmations and visualizing and that's basically the work whereas that's kind of the surface level of what manifestation is it actually is about unblocking a lot of yeah as you said limiting beliefs past traumas and I think that's more of the work that I need to do rather than this like I want a successful podcast I want you know it's like Yes, of of course, writing those things down and speaking them into existence helps you get there. But she she just has a different approach. And I, I just it seems a lot more analytical and, you know, just just legit. I She's yeah, very great way to start your morning. Yeah, she's my spirit animal on many levels. I was actually going to send you the latest episode of her podcast expanded um, because she had this doctor on scientist on who really talks about the difference between the subconscious and the conscious beliefs and how we actually operate 95% of the time out of the subconscious and the subconscious is made up of ages zero to seven. So if you were fed a limiting belief between the ages of zero to seven, that is actually how your body operates on autopilot based on that limiting belief. So Lacey's work is changing the subconscious to be more, to be to progress your life in a more healthy, yeah. healing, grounded way. So well, she calls it reparenting your subconscious. Yeah, that's well. That's a reparenting is a is a very common phrase. I don't think she coined that one oh, within whatever. the psychology I'm, world. But I'm new here. Like, oh, let okay. me let me explore. I'm new. Okay, well, explore. I'm gonna explore with you. I'm super stoked. This is a step in the right direction. And you know, I had a ping today. I had a ping, as Lacey would say. I was at lunch with my mother-in-law and she asked what was new and I was talking about the podcast and I didn't say it out loud, but I just had this inner energy shift and I said, you know what? I think Mads is moving into the next emotional stage of her life. I'm feeling a, I'm feeling a, a shift happen and this just solidifies that I was correct and this is wow. happening. The universe. How did it know? Okay, well, one day you're going to come to me and you're going to say the words the universe in a very serious manner. And I'm going <laughs> to laugh at you and be I like, think oh. I, I don't think I'll ever be able to unsarcastically say the universe. But maybe with Lacey Phillips's help, I'll, I'll get a little closer. Okay, I love it. Let's talk about something that is not spiritual, healing, deep, moving, personal development oriented. I would beg to differ. Okay, well, we can beg to differ. Let's talk about The Fucking Bachelorette because we haven't talked about it yet. 
Well, you know why we haven't talked about it, Scout? It's because you were not watching it. And it was very upsetting to me because I think that The Bachelor is like a cornerstone of OK Sis. And it's like one of our content pillars. And then you just not being able to participate was just like left me really lost. Yeah, so I find that I don't really enjoy the first two episodes of The Bachelor because they're boring and I don't know anybody. And so sometimes I've found with the last few seasons, actually, I've waited till episode three or four to jump in. But obviously this season, things progressed quite quickly with Claire and Dale, who then Claire got engaged to Dale and left The Bachelorette on like week two, which was pretty insane. And I haven't heard your thoughts and I would like to hear your thoughts on the situation. Um, my thoughts are that this is absurd. Um, look, Claire, we were all really excited for Claire to be the bachelor. We thought, great, a mature, older, sophisticated woman. She's going to come in. It's going to kind of balance out the bachelor to bring it back to the space where it's supposed to be. And no, we didn't get any of that. She acted more immature than I've seen any other bachelor or bachelorette ever act before. And... She also, one was just very disrespectful of everyone's time. I understand that like when you want something, you want something. And like, if you can't get it out of your head, you're not going to be forced to. But also she was just acting so giddy, like a little schoolgirl with lust. And honestly, my biggest takeaway is like, okay, great. If you can't stop thinking about Dale, that's amazing. And like, tell him and then you guys can just leave. Do not get engaged. I'm sorry. Dale was roped into that. This poor guy. One, I also don't think that he actually likes her I think he was just like doing that just to appease her and then they're gonna break up in like the next couple months that is my prediction but and it's like so cringy to watch them because it's so clear that he is like not into it at all I don't see any chemistry except for from her side and I don't know I just don't think they needed to get engaged there's this really strange like narrative of the bachelor that you have to get engaged and it completely ruins a lot of the relationships, it puts a lot of pressure on The Bachelorette and The Bachelor, um, which I, I guess I understand that that's the premise of the show. But like society is moving forward. Like we should not be expecting engagements like you. It is very normal to exit the show and just be in love and developing a relationship and then get engaged. But alas, we we got an engagement and it was I mean, oi the fuck they. Yeah. So I have a few thoughts. I think that Dale in general is just a hard person to read. So I can't confidently say whether or not he is super committed or not. I th- I think he is. I actually am one of the people that think that they had an intense connection. Do I think that maybe Claire's connection with him is more than on his end? Potentially, yes. We don't know. Um, I think that things like this can happen. Um, I think the engagement was for TV. I think that they pushed it. Obviously, the producers pushed it. Like, if you're going to leave the show, like, give me an engagement, essentially. So we'll see how that works out. Obviously, in the tell-all, she was like babies, and Dale was pretty quiet on that one. So, um, you know, I, I really do wish them the best. I think that she came in there with one motive, and she was actually on the show to actually find love, which she put above the TV show, the fame, everything. And so we have to really give her credit for that. Um, because she was actually on there for love. Um, one of the things that I had a problem with was strip dodgeball because I believe that that if the tables were turned, they would not be able to air that segment. It would be highly problematic making, if it was the other way around and girls had to strip during dodgeball, it would be 
the most offensive thing possible. And the fact that they made the guys did that, like, look, that one guy, Yosef, totally get it whatever he's got his thing and he's kind of an asshole but he had a point like he has a daughter he doesn't want his daughter turning the television on and watching him strip on national television so i okay, thought that was actually yosef but yes i do agree that it was a big double standard and very strange and look a lot of the guys were definitely okay with it they you know work hard for their bodies so they were very willing to strip but truly the bachelor needs to do better in that regard and they, you know, they're trying to make strides. They're trying to evolve. And this was like a step backwards for sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, Something that's going to make you super duper laugh before we get to the point that we talk about the glorious our queen Tasha coming on as the bachelorette is I have been getting texts, random DMs. I think I'm up to four. It's not a lot, but it's four saying Brandon looks like Adam from The Bachelor at the guy that goes on the first one-on-one with Tasha, A hundred percent. I don't know. I, I was going to tell you that too. Oh my God. So I don't really see it. I didn't see it at all. And then Adam saw him on television. And he's like, oh, one of my guy buddies said I looked like him. And I was like, what? And then all these girls were DMing me. And then you said it just now. Like, I'm so not seeing I def- it. But Okay. Well, I, I did see it a little bit. But you know who I particularly think that Adam looks like? Like, to a T, it's so scary. Do you know? Who? No. Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. We've talked about that. But, but like, like a han- way handsome. Way yeah, more but handsome. like a, y- a young Jerry Seinfeld. So we're watching Seinfeld and he's, you know, in his 20s or so. And he is Adam. Like not even just the looks, but just like the demeanor and the, the sar- sarcasm and the humor. Like I literally like I've, I'm watching Adam. Oh, I don't think Adam's as dry as Jerry Seinfeld is, but he has similar facial structures to Jerry Seinfeld. Yes. 100%. And I've said, someone told me I looked like Elaine once and I don't know. I don't know. Wait, how to take we that. never talked about this. People. Okay. I was never told this until I joined TikTok, but every single person on TikTok tells me that I look like Stevie from Schitt's Creek. Everyone. Yeah. I don't see it. I can see maybe. I don't see it at all. Yeah, I don't see it at all. People are freaked out. People are like, holy shit, you stole Stevie. You are encapsulating her body. Like, how is this another person? People think I am her. No, Stevie's like schlumpy. I know. You're not schlumpy. Well, you know, I dress schlumpy, but. No, uh, but no, you dress like cute. She's like legit dressing schlumpy. Like, I don't know. I can't tell to take it it like a compliment or not. I mean, everyone that says it's like, this is, this is not an offense. Like, this is a compliment. I'm like. I, I, I think she's beautiful. I mean, I wish I had her hair. Her hair is great, but I'm just like a little confused. Stevie to me looks like she's related to Adina Menzel, which I, you know, I think maybe I look a little like Dina Menzel. I look yeah, like but a you don't look like Jew, you know, but you, you don't look like Stevie. I, I don't see it. Okay. That's Anyways. Good. Well, that, that's okay. good or bad. I don't care. She, she's beautiful. Let's, yeah, she is. Let's talk about Tasha. Um, yes. Snaps for Tasha. Thank the fucking God. She's so beautiful and amazing, and I'm stoked. She's so sexy. Um, she is so breathtaking. She's obviously like, b- like inserted new energy into these men, into the vibe of the show. It it feels like a whole new show, which is like very interesting because now we're like kind of starting over, and it feels. Vi- I don't know. It just feels strange, but 
I think I just need to get into the groove of her being the bachelorette and this being a real process. But um, I'm excited to see what happens. I'm, I mean, I'm so sick of the La Quinta Inn. I'm like, let's get them the fuck out of there, but they can't. Yeah, them horseback riding just like around oh my God. the premises. And with was Chris Harrison popping up, like, oh my God, get out. Also, question, those four guys they brought in, they didn't quarantine for two weeks. So people were co- like questioning, because it's so weird because they took they made such a big effort to talk about the two-week quarantine and everyone had to quarantine da 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 which like maybe they did and they just like they just knew a long time ago I don't know it is very interesting the, they, the timeline they they might have taken people from San Diego or like from Southern California maybe so that there was no travel oh. on airplanes so they could just test them and be like hey how have you been the last two weeks because like Tasha for sure didn't quarantine for two weeks yeah, it's very confusing because they really made a whole hoopla about quarantine. Yeah. And then it was like, well, here's other people. I mean, everyone that comes on the show, like JoJo's going to come on to be to replace Chris Harrison for a little bit. And then I saw Wells is there. And all those people have to definitely quarantine for two weeks before they join the little bubble. Yeah, I'm sure. So yeah. interesting. Um, interesting. You know, they're doing a good job regardless of COVID. I'm really happy to see them get creative. And... We shall report back on Tasha's journey. Maybe every few weeks, we'll do a little check-in on Tasha, see how she's feeling, doing all the good things. I'm always down to check in on Tasha. Yeah, me too. So, anyways, sisters, if you like listening to OKSIS podcast, what we would super, super appreciate is if you would text your favorite episode to a friend and leave us a five-star rating and review this helps us so much it keeps us going knowing that we have sisters that listen that love the community that we're in it i know people say this all the time but it really does bright up our day and we love you we really 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 love you yes okay let's get into this episode oh what a wholesome episode truly we had orion otherwise known as orion vanessa on instagram and you probably have seen her she is just such a artistic and fashion forward but like aesthetically pleasing account and um, she just came out with a poetry book called film for her which um, Scout and I kind of like jizz over because we thought that she looks like Patti Smith and it was just like a whole vibe and we get into it in the episode of course but she was just such a delight like ethereal tender beautiful yeah, I think that the only like anecdote that sums her up is when she said that she moved to Paris for a month to write her book. And I was done. I I was wondering if we could trade bodies, you yeah. know, when people say I want to wear your skin. That's 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 the level I was at in that moment. So yeah. We are official, well, we have been, but even more so official fangirls of her. And we talk a lot about the creative process, um, writing, creative process, how she kind of views her life, um, how people have been merging the worlds of poetry, artist, artistry, and Instagram, um, which I thought was a really interesting new kind of formulation in the art world. So we, we went a lot of different places, and, and she's such a delight. So we hope you enjoy, sisters. Enjoy. Ever since having a baby, I've been extremely conscious about what I spend my money on and which products I use. And clothing is no different. I want my wardrobe to be sustainable, good quality, and timeless. You have to be talking about Whimsy and Row, right? Whimsy and Row is an LA grown, eco conscious brand born out of the love for cute, comfy, and classic styles. 
every piece is made by women for women. Quality goods, local production, natural and organic fabrics. Yes, please give me all the linens. Just like OK Sister, Whimsy and Row is based on the idea that women are multidimensional. There's a balance of flirty feminine and minimal masculine in all of our wardrobes, and Whimsy and Row means exactly that. From special occasions to everyday effortless styles, their clothing is meant to mix and match and wear on repeat. I have been wearing their Kira pant in black linen probably three times a week. Sisters, if you've been listening to this podcast or following me on Instagram, you know that Whimsy and Rose Kira Pant in Black Linen is a sisterhood staple at this point. Founder Rachel Temko created the brand back in 2014 because she wanted to create an approachable and inclusive brand that cared for the people and the planet first. Get the full Whimsy experience IRL at their Venice location or shop online at whimsyandrow.com. Their store in Venice is so cute, I can attest. And if you're in LA, I highly recommend stopping by. They are always putting on these amazing community events. They just launched their spring summer collection and we will be living in it all summer long. Visit their website, whimsyandrow.com. That's W-H-I-M-S-Y-A-N-D-R-O-W.com and use code OKSISTER for 15% off. Sisters, my goal these days is to always look put together when I leave the house. Nothing over the top or super dressed up or anything like that. I just want to look put together and feel good about what I'm wearing in an effortless yet refined way. When I look at my closet every single morning and think about what I can wear that is chic and intentional, I usually end up grabbing one of my Jenny Kane sweaters and I always end up loving the way I look and the way I feel in them. You all know, sisters, that when I envision my highest self, I am wearing Jenny Kane. Their sweaters are the quintessential must-have item. I cannot stop wearing my Marina set. I throw it on and immediately feel like I'm in a Nancy Myers movie. Like I could just walk on the beach in Santa Barbara. It is the coastal grandma aesthetic. My favorite Jenny Kane sweater right now is their everyday sweater in taupe. This is the definition of a staple that every woman must have in their wardrobe. Sisters, trust me on this one. I wear it with leggings, oversized jeans and a little kitten heel or a silk maxi skirt. Legit, Mads and I are so obsessed with wearing our Johnny Kane sweaters that we've literally shown up both wearing the same sweater once. The white alpaca cocoon crew neck, which is this deliciously oversized sweater. Yeah, that moment takes the cake. Both of us walking in with our matching Jenny Kane sweaters. We're obsessed. Can't take them off. Wearing them every day. The type of staples that save your outfit. That is what I love about their entire collection. It is truly the art of simplicity. They focus on comfort, quality, and timeless designs. So you can curate a wardrobe that never goes out of style. Find your new uniform at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code OKSIS at checkout. That's 15% off your first order, J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code OKSIS. O-K-A-Y-S-I-S. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. I love your Mad Happy sweatshirt. I have the same one, and I typically live in it. I actually just don't know where it's at. That's a... I wore this because I saw it on your Instagram, and I was like, girl, I got to show up. Also, the only reason she has that Mad Happy sweatshirt is because our stepmom said, what do you think Maddie would like as a housewarming present? And I jokingly said a Mad Happy sweatshirt, and then she bought her a Mad Happy sweatshirt. That is, that's a stepmom that is like, 
I want the brownie points. No, so, I want the brownie points. I'm you're the like, one. I, that was my idea. Hello. It, it was me, and I didn't get a Mad Happy sweatshirt for coming up with the genius idea, but I'm happy Mad, Mads is living out her truth. Oh, I'm living the truth. And uh, honestly, this is the perfect transition to current fixations because my current fixation was going to be Mad Happy. And honestly, I just love the ethos of the brand. Scout and I have actually both been in the local Optimist, which is their publication that they put out, which is just, you know, it's all about mental health. It's all about wellness and creating a positive space. Yes, it's a little pricey, I will say, but it is. <laughs> It's just, it's just a little pricey, but yeah. you know what? It's great quality. I live in it. This is just my uniform for quarantine. It's the most comfortable thing ever. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. 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 So I don't know. I highly recommend Mad Happy. Um, if it's, it's a definitely a like once a year gift to yourself and a little splurge, but they're, the brand behind it is amazing. And we actually, and they're very, they're LA based local. So yeah. You gotta also there's have you been inside of their store before course, of course i mean hi. hi i know it's a vibe in there it's a complete vibe but um yeah if you're ever in la go check it out and um you know their instagram is also just like fun to follow so it's, it's a fun follow yeah for sure yeah what's your current fixation i kind of just jumped in i hope that's okay yeah, that was a. I was I was shocked. I was like, "Here we go. I, I'm awake. Okay. I'm here." Um, okay, so my current fixation is that I've been reading a lot of memoirs lately. Actually, one after the other after the other. I read. I don't know if Ali Wong. Yeah, I guess it's a memoir. I read Ali Wong's memoir, and then I read Jessica Simpson's memoir, which was fantastic, and then I read Demi Moore's memoir, also super super. Um, encourage people to read that one and then I just finished the Queen Mariah Carey's memoir which was so good it was I didn't know so much about her and so it was a really really intimate deep dive into her life I'll say it was fucking long there was a lot of details I mean we had to go through every single one of her albums and every single one of her singles and the entire nine yards but um and now I just started Drew Barrymore's because I just want to continue on this memoir situation because I think it's interesting you know you read books sometimes and you know Orion you talk a lot about the mundane and a lot of the times it's the mundane it's the regular relationships it's the regular lives etc but when you read a memoir of someone who's lived a life like a celebrity the 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 stories aren't relatable but they're so interesting so you know Mariah Carey talks about meeting Nelson Mandela and Prince there's so many things that it makes you kind of feel it made, it made me kind of feel as if I could use a little more adventure in my life. I could kind of expand my life a little bit bigger um, than just yeah. sitting at a table on a computer all day. But um, <laughs> it's it's a really great way, I think, for those women to put the story back in their own hands because they were all famous when social media wasn't really a thing. And so they were subject to the narrative of the press. So in that sense, it's really cool to hear their stories, their side of the story. I love that. Wow. I need to get on. The, I've heard great things about the Mariah Carey one. I hear it's like a lot of lot of tea was spilt. And um, no, we're well, she didn't that's what I heard. She didn't talk a lot about Nick Cannon, which I was kind of bummed about because. Oh, like I need more. Yeah. That's what I'm here. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, that was beautiful. And I originally was going to go in here and being like, oh, yeah, my current fixation is Facebook market. I've been on it like every night, you know, looking at things, furniture and stuff. But like, now we're talking about memoirs. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe Facebook market wasn't my best. No, I'm a huge fan, huge fan of Facebook market. Huge fan. It's 10 out of 10. But I will say another current fixation is Eve Babbitt's, all of her writing. I I feel like every one of her book is like a memoir uh, in its own. Um, She's an incredible storyteller. I can speak, I promise. Um, Right now I'm reading Eve's Hollywood, which is it's fun now that I've lived in Los Angeles for about three years now. Um, I feel like, you know, if I read this anywhere else prior living here, I wouldn't understand it at such a deep level that I do now. Uh, you know, hearing like all the bits of LA that she talks about or the way that she describes the people and, you know, she grew up here. And also her life is insane. Her dad is a classical musician. Like she just grew up around artists her entire life. And that is the complete opposite of my own life. So it's so much fun to read any of her work. Oh, I need this. I haven't read anything by her. So this is a good, this is a good recommendation. I've heard about that. And I also, I'm a huge fan of like, I'm not, it's not old Hollywood, but just like portrayals of Hollywood in Los Angeles and the more special um, historic parts of it. I think it's it's such an untapped it's such an untapped market. It seems like because everyone just shits on LA all the time, and the media the media portrayal of it is just not the type of LA that I experience and that I see and admire. And so when there's a book yeah. that kind of dives into those sides of it, it's just it's magical. It is magical. Just to piggyback off that, talking about Los Angeles, there's another memoir that I read earlier this year called. Um, you'll know I'm dead when I stop talking. And I forget what the guy's name was, but he was an old-time Hollywood producer. He produced, like, Frank Sinatra and Elvis Presley, like, all these insane people. And so he has an incredible insider story into Hollywood when it was, like, back in the fucking day. And it's so good. That, is, that sounds fun. That's also a great title for a book. Okay, taking notes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, well, talking about books and words and poetry and writing and all of the things – um, you are, you know, quite the articulate gal yourself, we must say. So we want to start by asking, because you mentioned that you didn't grow up in a family full of artists. How did you first fall in love with the written word and discover poetry for yourself? Yeah, so I, I, like, I talk about this often, but I think the earliest memory of just poetry is being a kid and reading Shel Silverstein. And the, how imaginative he was and how fun poetry felt, you know, that's the first introduction to it is, it's how fun it can be and how childlike it can be. Um, But yeah, I grew up in a, in a, around a family that nobody is in the arts whatsoever. You know, also same with my hometown. It was very like cookie cutter, like you're going to you're going to go to college and you're going to be a nurse or, you know, whatever it is that seems like this is going to get me the paycheck. I'm doing it, but it doesn't really seem that much of a passion. It just feels like that's what you should be doing. So I I felt ever since I was younger, I've always remembered being so enamored with the world of art. And I think it started off actually with 
movies and actors and I, I, like the idea like the idea of old Hollywood was just so cool to me because it was so unlike everything I grew up around and so for so long it felt like it was just this dream it was intangible like I don't think that that would ever really be my life also like how do you start how do you start to actually not not just like find a hobby but make a career out of it it always felt like you had to know somebody like you had or like you had to be you know get lucky enough to have a parent or a family member that was a part of it so I didn't have any of that and so it felt you know like that's just never gonna happen and thankfully the age of the internet um grew so rapidly um around the time I was a teenager and and having a platform and growing in that sense was you know, this, it, it's a blessing and a curse because that's something probably a teenager shouldn't have access to. Like, I should not have had access to so many people all at once being 16, 17. We still probably shouldn't. <laughs> no, absolutely not. But I am not to, you know, toot my own horn over here, but I'm grateful that I, you know, didn't take that for advantage and, and didn't use it in a negative way and really use it in a way to find people, like-minded people like myself and, and get inspired by others who are also taking their, whatever it is that they want to do and, and making it something bigger than what they expected it to yeah, be. Yeah. You are kind of classified as this poet entrepreneur, which I just love that phrase and that, that distinction because in today's age, millennials, I feel like poetry, I mean, Scout is a huge poetry fan. I feel like it might have, it can be dying out, not dying out, but being reinvigorated in this current state with yeah. people like yourself and with these poet entrepreneurs. And you just don't see it as like a very, very popular art form in the presence of Instagram. So you have successfully been able to marry those two sides, you know, the entrepreneur, the influencer, the, the platform with poetry and with gr like this groundedness. How, what does that mean to you? And how were you able to achieve that? So, like anything else in the world, you have to find a way to reinvent it without losing the respect of it. Um, you know, we've seen it in music, though I have a strong respect and admiration for classical music. We were able to reinvent that throughout the years. And now we have so many other genres and so many artists can sing about things that you, you know, wasn't really sang, like sung about back then or, or, the sounds, everything's different. And, and there is a space for that in literature as well. But I think literature is such a sacred space because the poets and, and the writers are, you know, these, they seem like these untouched entities, this mysteriousness about them. They were never, you know, in the limelight. They were never signing like autographs and being paparazzi ever in a lifetime, but they were respected um, as the years went by. So I think people have this, yeah, this strong sensibility when it comes to poetry and to literature that the idea that in, you know, over the past five years, people have been reinventing that it wasn't easy and it still isn't easy in the sense that, you know, there's always going to be the comparison or the reviews of like, 
if you respect poetry, if you read Sylvia Plath, or if you like John Keats, then don't touch this book because this is not that. And while that's true, we're not, I'm not writing me thinks in a sentence. It's something that we have been able to reinvent and, and there's still poetry to be found even today. And it doesn't necessarily have to fall along like, though it is important to keep, to respect the art of poetry and to, you know, keep the um, structures of it, while that is important, how do we reinvent that? And how do we have people respect, not only respect it, who already do love poetry, but how do we get people that don't really care for poetry actually indulge in it and, and enjoy it? And so thankfully, like I said, the age of the internet has been able to do that and though it's kind of been like an up and down thing where some people respect it and love it and some people just can't get behind it. Um, I don't think that's ever really like stopped me from, from going on because whether no one's reading it or a million people are reading it, it's something that I enjoy and it's something that I love to do. And, you know, whether I'm physically writing or not, it's very easy for me to see poetry in many, many instances of my life and, and it, it's hard not to make that a part of who I am. It's so interesting to me because, and I'm so excited to ask you this question, because on a personal level, the first thing I ever remember loving was writing. Mm-hmm. I did it the minute I figured out how to do it. I would isolate in my room. I would read every book. I had journals from the minute I started. I was made fun of by my friends for the girl that wrote poetry in the corner. Mm-hmm. I remember my mom gave me the collected works of Allen Ginsberg and I, a whole world was opened up to me. I even brought one of the poems to be read in my seventh grade English class and it said cock like 10 times. Yeah. So she denied me. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, yeah, it was great. Um, and so writing for me has always been something that I go to and, and, and at times has caused me too much pain. I, I, there was a period in my life where I stopped writing because I had to mentally heal myself and writing just cracked open the darkness so fucking much. But what, what I'm trying to get to here is that I never, I wanted to be a writer, but I couldn't do it for my career. It didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. If, if you understand what I'm saying, I had to be more in my masculine in my career and that poet entrepreneur part those that gap never bridged between my passion and the entrepreneur aspect so what I'm wondering is how do you turn a a creative artistic life form that is really birthed from human experience and a rawness that is incomparable to capitalizing on it to making it your career I mean it's such a I can do the career business thing all day long and I can do the poetry thing all day long. But when you merge the two together, the creative process changes for me. So how are you able to live in both worlds? I feel like it always, like, there was never a strategy that I ever had to come up with to make it work. I feel like it felt always natural to me to just romanticize anything that I do and not in like an unhealthy toxic, like let's romanticize the bad parts of life, but in, in a, in a certain aspect, yes. Um, it, it, it felt very easy. And cause you know, I do fashion, you know, on the side and the influencing and the creative uh, cultivating of photos and images and whatever that may be it's the same with like watching a fashion film and, and watching, you know, these designers create a line and 
it's beautiful when they can look at something as, and I know that it sounds just like this like umbrella term of just poetry, but when you can look at something as poetry and, and kind of bring those aspects into your life of romanticizing these things and finding, you know, the beauty and the pain and everything it is that you do. So I, I really just felt like it came natural in that sense. And to capitalize off of it, I believe it was the, I, I just personally love things being tangible. You know, if I could do anything, I wish I could write music and be a musician because for me, I love like music. That is something I'm listening to it all the time. And, and I, I feel it. I get the lyrics. I'm like, yes, this is it. I understand. And while I can't do that, how can I, as a writer and poet, do that for other people? And I felt, you know, all, you know, breaking those walls down and becoming more vulnerable, which is already like, that's a topic within itself, creating a book and creating something tangible for people. Because I'm sure as you can understand, like how happy do you feel going on to the next page of a book you really love? Like it feels like you're in a, a completely different world. And that's how I feel with musicians um, that can create their own little world for, for their listeners. And I want to do the same thing, but with, with my work and, and with my, my own writing in any way that I can. Yeah, I love what you just said about romanticizing your life because although it feels like that's a, a buzzword right now, TikTok. I know because of TikTok, um, which I love that. I was all over that song, dude. I was filming like fucking videos left and right romanticizing it's my life. It's great. We love, we love to see it, but I think you do this so, so well. And I want to talk about the aesthetics of your social media because your Instagram feels like this visual diary and portfolio and it's like ethereal and dreamlike. And I, I, Thank you. I mean, it's, it's, it's more of a place I would go to for inspiration and to feel good. Whereas I can't really say that about a lot of Instagrams I follow, you know, <laughs> it's like we go to Instagram and, and to be able to go to your profile and like really just feel kind of romantic and do feel like, oh my God, these little moments in life are so precious and so beautiful and you're capturing them perfectly. And this might come into the, you know, photography aspect of of you and your life but how do you how do you look at that how do you look at these visuals and aesthetics and and what inspires you to create the flow that you have yeah I think really early on I think the first thing that really came into my head is what a lot of with what I do I am inspired like I said with music but films as in movies are are something you know you grow up watching and you're like wow like how can you make something like a moment in in a, in a film that seems like so regular like so beautiful that but also like kind of the age of tumblr i will say like i grew up um going on tumblr and, and yes. finding photographs that i'm like this strikes something in me i don't know what it means i don't know wh like why this photo of a coffee cup is doing something to me right now, but it's doing something to me. And so from, yeah, a, an earlier age, it was easy to kind of, yeah, cultivate something like, but also keeping it natural. Like I, I would never post something for the sake of being like, this is like going to fit my aesthetic. It's, these are moments in my life that, you know, I can see something where I'm like, 
I, I can find the beauty in this or, or this makes sense. And, and having, of course, like I'm always drawn to neutral colors because everything, I mean, logistically, like with clothes, easy. I know everything's going to match. It's perfect. I don't have to worry about anything, but those are just moments that, yeah, I think my brain was trained at a, at a younger age to mix things together and look at the smaller things because there is beauty in them. It's not just like, like why the other day was I painting my walls white and being like, yeah, this is it. Like the way that the light is coming in on the wall, like that is beautiful right now. This is all, like right here. Take the photo. Um, I don't know. It, yeah. It just feels like a, something that naturally just comes and it makes me happy. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I wish it would, I wish it would come that effortlessly to me. I feel like. <laughs> yeah. With Maddie, it's like a screaming match and a this and a that to get the shot. It's, um, I want to say, and, and I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I'll, I'll say it anyways because it's it's coming up for me, is that I was actually, I almost didn't even want to do this interview with you because you're such an artist and you can see that. And sometimes when you meet the artist, you're worried that it's going to shatter this illusion or the work or the ambiance or whatever it is you're putting down. It's like, don't meet your heroes kind of thing because then you're like, oh, fuck it's a human being behind the photo, but I can tell you that y it translates completely, 100%, which is really hard to do. It really does translate. Um, so I just wanted to to let you know that real quick mid-interview, but let's... If I no. face right now in the palms of my hand, Aww. I would. Oh, yeah, fuck Zoom. Um, <laughs> let's talk about your book because... It's beautiful. Mads and I both had the same thought earlier was that it's giving us Patti Smith vibes, who we are obviously obsessed with forever and ever and ever. Um, can you talk about your book, Film for Her, what the impetus was, the inspiration, and, and what people can expect? Yeah, totally. Um, first of all, thank you for the Patti Smith reference. I, I think we're all big fans. I do love her. She actually, oh my God, I can't. I like, I hate how much I admire her and her work um, because, you know, you read people's work and you're like, how, how does your brain work this way? Um, and how did my brain not get there? Anyway, a film for her started, you know, I'm typically used to writing about romance and it, it always felt easy to me to write about love had and love loss and heartbreak and healing through that and with that that it almost felt jaded. It felt like that was all I was really focusing on was love, like romance with somebody else. And it felt like a disservice to everyone else in my life and myself. And so I think really after, this started after like my last heartbreak that I had kind of dealt with. I mean, I start before my last heartbreak, but um, that really opened my eyes to kind of the theme of this book. Because um, like I said, it, start, it started off on Instagram and it was just like instances, moments of my life that I felt like I wanted to preserve. But after that last heartbreak, I was, um, you know, consumed with so much love with my friends and I became much closer to them. And I live in a city so far removed from my family and I only get to see them a handful of times throughout the year. 
Um, and every time I go back home, I have this newfound love for Georgia that I've never really had before. And living alone and traveling alone and traveling to new cities kind of brought this idea and this theme together of not just focusing on the love that I have romantically, but how deep your love can go, if maybe even deeper for platonic relationships and your family and yourself and, and, and just your travels and kind of like really being with yourself. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but it really took being alone and allowing myself because I think it's really easy for me to distract myself with other people. Um, you know, if I'm feeling some type of way, just go to a friend's house or watch a movie or anything. But I really took the time to sit with myself and ask myself like what wounds need to be healed, but also what is helping those wounds heal? And more specifically, I found that, you know, the relationships that I had with my close friends in my life and my therapist, like that was awesome. Therapy is awesome. I, I always had such a like bad perception of it growing up and now I'm like, hell yeah, I'm here for it. Let's talk about it. So film for her is all, all of these instances in um, my life that, you know, mean the most to me that, you know, like we said before, feels mundane. I think a lot of the times we focus on what are the highs in our life? Like what was like the best thing that's ever happened to us? Or when did we really feel like something broke us down that it felt like we lost a limb? Like those are obviously very pivotal moments in our lives, but I find that everything else that comes in between those moments seem to be what holds us together the most. Like think about the times that you've been with your friends and just bringing up a random memory that you thought was hilarious or it was genuinely a good time. And probably in those moments, you didn't think much of it because it wasn't monumental. It wasn't anything insane, but it felt special in that moment enough to carry on in the future. And though we, you know, may, we may forget about those moments or not, when you don't forget about those moments, that's when you know, like, that was special. And that that is something to write about. That is something to reminisce over. And so it, I guess, yeah, film for her is just taking the mundane passing moments in my life that, you know, could seem boring to any other blind eye, but to myself, um, really shaped me to who I am, not just as a person, but as a writer and as a friend and as a daughter and anything else I could be to somebody. And what was the process writing that? Was it, was it more methodical in the sense that you sat down and you thought of all these things and then wrote about them? Or was it more of looking back on your past work and compiling the things that you realized should be presented as a cohesive front? So the writing process was actually different for this book and I really, really enjoyed it. The idea was, you know, just taking my film camera around and everywhere I went and taking photos of whatever it is that I found important in that moment and getting the film developed and looking at those photos and reminding myself kind of what was going on and writing about it then. Typically, it's not like that. Like, I, I would just, you know, obviously experience something, write about it, but it's been it was such a great process because I preserved so many instances that I had forgotten about. And then, you know, you get the film developed 
and you see all these photos and you're like, oh yeah, like I took that because this happened or something was said. So it was fun to kind of relive those moments through the photographs. But also I did take a month alone for myself in Paris to write and I wasn't going off of any photographs. I was, I went solely to, you know, I have so many distractions in Los Angeles. I have, you know, I have great friends and the moment they asked me to like even go with them to Target to pick up toilet paper, I'm like, I'm there, like count me in. So I was like, I need to get away and from all distractions, I didn't know anyone in Paris. So when I went there, I, and it was also great because there was a time difference. So I really, I really couldn't talk to any of my friends. Um, so that was, those were days alone that I'd spent where I really had to reflect on what my life was like the past three years. And it was interesting, the things that got brought up that I hadn't even thought about in, in months, or even years. So it was, it was kind of a mixture of like typically what I am used to in terms of writing, but also the surprise of looking back at photographs that were taken and pulling from them. Talk about romanticizing your life. Just like just like going to Paris for a month alone. I mean, Mads, where the fuck is my month in Paris? I know we like, we all need a month in Paris. Period. Period. <laughs> I, like I, I was terrified. because I don't speak a lick of French. And I was like, I'm going to be ruined. I'm going to be destroyed. Somebody's going to hurt my feelings. And because I am nothing but a dumb American who cannot speak French but everyone was so kind and it really was weird to not talk that much because I am somebody who talks a lot. So I found myself kind of going a bit crazy, but I was like, it's fine. It's for the art. We're good. Let yourself go crazy. Just do it. You're fine. Mads, if you had to write a book and go somewhere for a month to write it, where would you go? Oh, what a question. I would probably go to Big Sur. I think definitely because there is no internet connection there. So I like really would be disconnected and it's just, I mean, it's gorgeous. It's, it's, I mean, the, you're in nature. I feel like it would be, be very, uh, throw like type of reflection, but I love that. I think, I mean, Oh, scout, where would you go? You wanted me to ask you. you? Okay. Yeah. I was waiting for that one. I was waiting for that one. You know what? I don't know where I would go. I would probably go somewhere <laughs> highly spiritual, like Tulum or something, because that's the only way I can completely disconnect. I think if I was in Paris, I would... I mean, it depends, right? If I'm writing a poetry book, for sure Paris, or like Tuscany, or Capri. But if I'm writing something more um, personal development, mental health oriented, it would definitely have to be someone more spirit, somewhere more spiritual, so that I can tap into that mm-hmm. pure healing sense. Yeah. Um, so. There's also something that you touched on about being alone and being with yourself. Scout and I just did a solo episode on self love and how to cultivate it, and one of our tips was really scheduling out time to be alone whether that's just walking around the block without your phone or setting a time obviously meditation is a huge one but what are some ways that you were able to like really feel comfortable and practice like self-love in that alone state oh I think letting go of the idea that if I don't talk to someone that they're going to forget about me or that or that they don't care about me I think 
for a while, I was easily consumed with the idea that if I'm not present in somebody's life, like 24 seven, that I'm not being a good friend or anything of that sort, or like, it's easy to like disconnect from that connection. Um, I think lately though, in terms of self-care that I've been, I've been trying to do is waking, when I wake up in the morning to not touch my phone for the first hour, oh, I try to wake up early enough that my emails aren't bombarding me and I'm getting yelled at or not responding. Um, Cause that usually happens when I sleep until noon, but I try to uh, wake up a little bit early, not touch my phone for an hour and read for that hour and that is something I've n- I'm not typically used to, but I find that the days that I do actually do that, I can like carry on with my day with like a clearer headspace. And it's been good. It's kind of like a form of meditation in a way. I, I've never really been that good at meditating um, as much as I would love to be, but that is just kind of like my own little, my own little form of that. But that, and I guess also, learning how to say no to things is a huge thing in self-care. I think everyone obviously thinks self-care is, you know, take a bubble bath and do a face mask. And while I love doing that, I, it's sweaty in that bathtub and it becomes miserable. It really is. It really yeah. is. It really can, really we, is. can we talk about how taking a bath is like, it's, it's good in theory, but then you're in that tub and you're schwitzing and about to pass out because it's so hot. It's so hot. And I'm like, this was supposed to help me. And I think <laughs> I'm dying right now. Like, I, But if it's so not hot, hot, you're pissed. Like, you're pissed because it's like lukewarm. And yeah. I was like, why isn't this boiling? And then it was boiling. I was like, I think I got to get out. There was yeah. no happy medium. There's no happy medium with that. So I guess my latest form of self-care is, is saying no to things that I, I just don't want to like – I think it's easy to take things personal. Once I've learned that when people like decline things that I do and I'm like, I'm not going to take that personal. I kind of had to like train myself to think that the other people will hopefully think the same thing that just by me saying no, like I don't really feel like exerting that energy. I don't have, you know, the time or really, I just don't want to. Um, It's never a personal thing. It's just like, I really need this time for myself to just breathe and like, do nothing and be okay with that. Especially with quarantine, we got so easy to do, like got so used to doing nothing. So now when it feels like we have to do something, I'm like so much of my energy just I, out the door. Oh yeah. We always talk about, we have like the capacity to do one social interaction a, a week and it's like, that's it. And we have to like recharge for the next week. No, actually. I'm like, I, I go to the store and I'm like, all right, that was my, that was the event work of the day. I'm going to lay down now. <laughs> it's so true. All right, Scout, should we ask our final and our favorite question? Yes. So we ask all the ladies that come on. Okay. Sis, if you had to brag about one thing you've accomplished in life, it can be career or personal, and don't be humble, what would you brag about? Uh, I think for I think I have something for both career and personal. When you said before the don't be humble part, I was like, all right, personal. And then you said don't be humble. I'm like, okay, let's talk about my career. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm honestly so over the moon. I've been working with so many incredibly – amazing high fashion brands that I just would have never expected to ever work with in any, like, let alone like them send me something that just never crossed my mind. So, um, I just wrapped up 
a shoot with Cartier, which I'm honored to be a part of. And, and so it's just like working with all of these brands, especially, especially growing up and admiring them and could never afford even like a secondhand object from any of those brands. It feels like a full circle moment that I'm able to like have personal relationships when I knew there was a time that I couldn't even like afford to look at the website for fun. Um, so that, and I think personally, um, my growth in dealing with rejection, um, how I touched on earlier to not take things so personal and, you know, we're all just kind of dealing with our own things and rejection is a, very, very easy thing to allow yourself to feel hurt about. And with whether it comes with work or, you know, somebody not liking you back, it's unfortunately a part of life. And the silver lining is, is for a writer, you have something to write about. So there's that. Oh, I love, I love those. This was so wholesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you. You guys are so cute, and I'm honored. I feel like we should all get dressed in, like, really pretty dresses and just frolic inside together with a hot tea that's also maybe spiked with wine. Like, I am incredibly down for that. You have no idea. I am – look at me. I'm in a, I'm in a hoodie right – we're all in hoodies right now. Like, that's what we need. We're all, like, we're schluppy. Like, we yeah. need to, like, yeah. really I, – I woke up with a pimple. Like, life is just throwing one. But it's yeah. – we're cool. Tell everyone where they can buy your book and then also where they can follow you because you are a necessary follow. My Instagram and Twitter handles, Orion Vanessa, and my book is available for pre-order now and available in stores November 17th. And you can find it across most and all uh, bookstore websites and Amazon and things of that sort. Um, She'll be there. Film for her will be there. We're so excited. And you can find us at OKSIS Podcast. Thanks, sisters. Thanks, sisters. Hey there, I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. If there's one thing I know from both my personal and clinical experience, it's that we are really good at comparing ourselves to others. We tend to get stuck in the unhelpful narratives that play on repeat in our minds, and we struggle to set boundaries and create healthy love. Each week, I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair, and being a wife, mother, and business owner to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you you change the dialogue in your life. Tune in every Thursday to I'm Not Your Shrink wherever you listen to podcasts. While I'm not your shrink, I am still human and I'm excited for us to be in our vulnerability and humanness together.